Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Brooke Beach, founder and CEO of MarketWave. Brooke graduated from the University of Georgia with a PR degree in 2011. Within four years of graduating, she was promoted to CEO at Kevy, an email marketing tool focused on e-commerce. During her time at Kevy, Brooke started MarketWave, a digital marketing agency focused on creating compelling and personalized experiences for their customers. Brooke and her team at MarketWave want to make brands more human through developing creative, inspirational, and intentional work for every client. Her agency specializes in marrying services and products to reach profitability fast. Brooke, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Oh, I'm thrilled. This is going to be fun. Heck yeah. Let's dive into it. It's a Friday, only a few hours before you get to kick off and we get to enjoy our weekend. So let's have a fun conversation. For you, same question I ask every, uh, every founder at the beginning. What were the series of events that led you to start this company? There were a couple of pretty key indicators of where I was going. I think first, a lot of influence on my life is I, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My granddad was an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. To me, it wasn't big, scary, mammoth beast that I had to tackle. It was just kind of part of my family. Um, we talked about risk all the time. We knew what it came with. And so it was really normal for me. Um, I just didn't know what that looked like. I don't, I didn't have any brilliant idea. I didn't have any of this amazing tech. I just, I knew in my heart that I wanted to help people in some way. Um, and that that time would come. I ended up working for a company that was based out in San Francisco for a while. I didn't love it. I traveled 32 weeks a year. The work was fun. The travel is not as glamorous as everyone mm. says it is, especially when you're having to eat every meal out and on the road, you're missing home. Um, so it was an incredible experience. I loved the people that I worked with, but then made my way back to Atlanta. Um, I worked at a couple different companies, everything from PGI to startups like said. Um, and then really it was the, the catalyst moment I, I had gotten, I transitioned from PR into marketing because for me, PR felt a little bit retroactive. Marketing felt very proactive of going mm. to tell the story of our business. How does that story impact our bottom line? What's the number behind it? And, and how do we tell a great story uh, across a lot of different channels, not just one. I was sitting at Lake Burton. If you're familiar with Georgia, oh, yeah. you know the lake. Yep. Yeah. Sitting at Lake Burton. And I was looking, it was, it was winter. I was looking over the lake. It's this beautiful mist on the lake. It was about six o'clock in the morning and I'm just churning. You know, when you get in those moments where it's like, you feel that tug in your heart and your mind and you know, it's about time to make the leap into something, but you just, you're not quite sure. So I dabbled with the idea of building my own marketing agency. I knew that I was really, really, really good at marketing, but like, what does that translate to just yeah. me? Or could I actually make something bigger than me? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what's the mission? All of these boats. Right? And if you know, like Burton, you know that they're gorgeous boats. They're just beautiful. We are, we were in a no, no wake zone. Um, so these boats are going by early morning, seeing the sunrise fishing, leaving a little bit of a wake, but nothing, nothing to make note of. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this little tiny bass goes the same speed as everyone else, no wake zone, but that little boat 
left a wake so large that it shook the dock that I was on. And that's when I knew I wanted to help small businesses and people leave a wake so big that it changes the world around them. And that to me was catalyst behind the name, behind the business, behind her. And that is absolutely still rings true today of what we do and why we do it. Wow. I love that story. And I love that lake. We, um, one of my, so in college, uh, I was got really into wakeboarding and competitive wakeboarding and that kind of stuff. And one of my friends had a house on Lake Burton, on Lake Burton and would throw a wakeboarding competition there every year. Uh, I don't know if you've been to it or not. They do it yearly. No, that's awesome. It's it's the best. I mean, they have literally, um, you know, a row, two rows of boats all connected together going down the lake. And then in between we do the competition people are, having a good time, some beverages and things like that. Oh, absolutely. It's the best. And then it ended with the the award ceremony at the restaurant that overlooks the lake with yes. the beautiful background. Ah, so anyway. Oh my gosh, that's it. So that. the, the one thing that I did at Lake Burton, they brought um, the group that I was with, they brought a, um, you know, those Iron Man packs? Yeah. Brought the Iron Man packs and everyone who was there got to try them and like do the flips in the water and fun i ended up bringing that to another lake with the market week retreat so i was like that changed my that was so that was epic and again sets really i have cool. never tried that is it harder than it looks is it's it really it is really hard and it's terrifying because i mean i like risk i enjoy kind of the you know trying stuff like that but yeah. what they say is when you go up you have to make sure that when you try to flip or move or anything you don't fall and hit the rope that's leading up to it yeah um, and then you can get i mean you can get really high like 35 30 feet up there in which case <laughs> if you have a panic attack and fall they're like they teach you how to break because you're so high um but no one no one got hurt i don't think that's amazing yeah. that's great <laughs> did you ever see did you ever see that uh that that news blooper of the guy who was trying he was like filming from location going back to the news station he had one of those packs on and he was like all right today for the 12 o'clock news here we go and he went to go off the dock and he just face planted Yes. <laughs> that is, literally, if you if you have not, that is exactly what everyone does. It's like you go up about a foot and then you're done. Just face plant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I want to back up in your story just a little bit before we get into your current company. What was it like for you to rise to CEO of that uh, of Kevy so young, so early? Tell me a little bit about that. What was that experience like for you? It was. It was surreal um so the funny thing is i actually started market week in january of 27 or january 2015 okay i got my first clients on board one of which is still a client to this day which is really cool um got my first clients on board was building out what that business model looked like and then even brought in someone to help me who's now my current co-founder partner um she was highly creative good at design so i convinced her okay quit your job and then was asked to be the CEO in June of 2015 after I'd already started Market Week, which was interesting. So then it was this highly high stakes thought process of do I this opportunity of being the CEO of Kevy, a startup who's going through a really like a, a substantial pivot, or do I stick with what I'm building right now? I already have clients doing, or is there some crazy world out there where I can actually do both? And what does both look like? And I mean, it was, man, it was some days, if not weeks of, of having to process through, okay, let's play this out. 
ultimately got with the the woman her name's maddie at the time and talked through okay here are my options here's what i'm thinking and down to is hey this is going through a pivot it's not really my company um how about i'm there temporarily and help them um i got to be 15, 18 months tops. I think I can do it. And then I'll still r- help run Market Week at night. So she stepped in, was the interim CEO of Market Week. Wow. I took... I took the job at Kevy because I, I wanted to know what it would, what was it like to work with investors? What was it like to raise money? What was it like to build a software? What was it like to actually help? Because I love this team. I had worked with this team for years. How could I also serve these people and not just leave them abandoned? So took the job from over the course of 15 months, um, got it from negative to positive. Essentially, it was really due to my team. I had an incredible CTO. His name was Don Pottinger. He, I mean, just... Couldn't have done it without him. I was doing heavy during the day, raising money, building a platform from scratch, dealing with angry clients from the old version of Kevy yeah. 1.0, um, dealing with the brand shift, which was difficult. And then at night, exhausted, I would go home and write blog posts for my customers at Market Week and try to build that that clientele up. Um, it, I would never do uh, <laughs> because it almost killed me, but it yeah. was worth it. Looking back now, what I learned and the people that I met, and the, you know, the cool thing is there were people and investors who did not give me money at Kevy. It was a no for that. They were and still are some of my biggest sources of referrals from MarketWay, mm. which is also really cool as an entrepreneur to say, hey, no is not personal. No does not mean ever no does not mean that you're on a bad track it is just no for them at that time and keep fighting you need to keep it could be a absolute resounding yes in the next company that you're with which is really awesome yeah man mm-hmm. with that with that heavy of a workload i mean turning a company around starting a company how did you how did you do both well or as well as you could versus burning out and, and dropping the ball on both. God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it was, I, I think a couple things I've thought back on it a, a lot to understand, you know, what was that time? What did I take from it? The teams on both sides were amazing. Maddie and the market wake side, who's still a part of this story, which is incredible because I was terrified that she was going to get burnt out also because I just left her with my baby, you know, say, okay, yeah. run this. Um, and it, that was, that was a fear. And then Dawn, the CTO on the Kevy side of, oh my gosh, we're literally building this from scratch. The two of them were phenomenal and then helped me build the team below us, which was amazing of bringing these people on to say, Hey, this isn't going to be a lot of work. I trust you with a lot. And, and, and during this, I, is that people live up to the expectations that you set for them. And they want flexibility than typically entrepreneurs give. I see a lot of entrepreneurs who who want control of everything because it is mm. it is they've spent so long doing how to do it better, and they probably do know how to do it better. But if you can't trust your team to grow, they're never actually going to have a shot at doing it the at growing and doing it the way that um, you want it to be done because you just took it on yourself, which I think is pattern. So I I. I was absolutely burnt out, but because I did trust my team to do their jobs well, um, I think that that facilitated both of them growing. And the great thing is during that time, we didn't lose, we had, we had brought on several customers at market Week. We didn't lose any of those. 
And I was able to pass customers back and forth between Kevy and MarketWeek. So they would onboard Kevy. It was e-commerce marketing automation. MarketWeek could help them with the onboarding, which offloaded for market was a source of clients. So figuring out creative ways to use the resources at hand to what is the saying, high tides, rise all ships, yep. um, to, to bring that to flame. Wow, man. Okay. Yeah, so it was a lot. Yeah. So a few things I think is cool is that constraint on your time and your energy kind of forced you or allowed you to do something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, which is trusting other people, you know, giving them real important tasks versus doing everything themselves. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because oftentimes what I, I mean, we work with a lot of startups, it takes some people years to do that, in which case they're burnt out, they're angry, they're agitated. People don't feel like they even are a part of it because they don't know how they can help. Um, and that really forced me into just accepting that reality really early on mm. <laughs> um, and recognizing and also recognizing my limitations too. I had never been a CEO and I sure as heck had never been a CEO at, least at the same time. Software and services are dramatically different. Services, I was able to get a ton of cash in fast, which is mm. awesome. Software is a lot of upfront cash needs, and it takes a long time on the back end to get those customers. On the Kevy side, I was raising money. I had an investor to answer to, someone who owned the majority of the company. On the Market Week side, I owned it entirely. So it was just all of these weird parallels, too, of the way that businesses, different businesses work and, and the pros and cons of both, because there are pros and cons to both. You know, it's, it's yeah. great to start out a company and have a runway, um, but then it's terrifying to know that that runway is going to end and you might not be able to backfill. And then it's great to say, oh, we got a customer and there's cash coming in the door immediately, but oh my gosh, that cash is based on headcount and how are we going to scale this? Um, it, it, figuring out in that early stage of market week, how to kind of combine the best tools, I think is what led to market week growing as quickly as we did of yeah. how do you create services that actually feel like software? Okay. Several things I want to ask about there. First is, can you speak a little bit more to when you think when, it, when in your estimation, it would be worth someone looking into taking early investment, going kind of the fundraising route versus the sweat equity, keep it all to myself type of thing. Can you speak to that some? Yes, uh, they, it absolutely makes sense. I love that I bootstrapped market week. It's awesome. I, my partner, she has ownership in the company. It's great. It's ours. We, we can run this the way that we want to. Um, however, we did not start this with all of the upfront costs of requiring development. Um, mm. I think that if you are developing the software, there's more expenses involved in that. And you also, okay, what type of company do you want to be? Do you want to be a really high, fast growth company where your, your exit plan is with this, or do you want to grow and grow substantially, but have it at a more measured rate? So your team is not burnt out. So you're able to find the customers that you want and money for the sake of money. I think that it is important to get the right investors, no matter what, if you are going that path, investors who care, investors who are um, invested, not only financially, but personally in what you're doing, investors who believe in you and you know that, and you can sense that. Um, 
to do with that money because it goes so fast. Um, oh. Money does not like to be in savings accounts. It likes to be spent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It finds ways to get out of those savings accounts. Um, and just knowing how much you need and planning ahead is really, really important. But I do think that it is raising fantastic when are building that software, you know that you have a lot of upfront costs and you want people to really come and help build a high growth company quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a really helpful distinction. Like, is there going to be a lot of upfront costs? Is there going to be a speed to innovation, maybe even a speed to market that you need someone to help you get there, but even still you've got to invite the right people in, you know? Yep. You get the wrong investor, you know, either doesn't get you or meddles too much or doesn't get your vision. That could be a, another headache, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you said something there too, speed to market. That's another thing within software tech changes so quickly yeah. that if you take your time or if you're going a little slow, someone else is going to go raise a bunch of money and they're going to build the same software, but they're just going to get it to market. In which case you have to take that into account too. Of It's the product, but it's also the marketing behind it and how quickly can you market it? Because um, tech changes quickly, evolves quickly, but also there's of it out there. So how do you raise the money that you need in order to get it in the hands of customers as fast as possible? Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to back up to when you're making the decision, do I stay and take the, take the, the CEO kind of secure route that, that, I, that I, as secure as it can be, right. That I, I have here versus do I bet on myself? Do I make a change, start my own company, that kind of thing. That's a really tough decision to make. Right. So I want to talk about risk. I want to talk about questions. Maybe you asked yourself or others asked you that helped you get clarity to say, this is, this is the decision I want to make. I want to make this jump. What were some of those for you? Risk for me, I've always, I've always had a high tolerance for risk. Um, I, I've, I think from a young age, it was just a part of who I was and I recognizing who you are, I think is step one and I've fallen in the scale of being tolerant of, of risk or not. Um, some of the questions that people ask me that were really important to me of this, is this a is this bigger than you? And it was, it was completely every single time. Like, no, I know this seems to be, this is not, I'm not, I, this has got to be bigger than me. If I'm going to jump into this, it has to be something that I can look and, and be proud of, um, whether I am here or not. Um, and then the other aspect was what, what are you going to lose right now? You know, what, what's, what's the biggest and, and playing that out. I think people are, are raised with undefined fear. Yeah. And it's once you start to put a name to it, once you call it out, once you start to find what it is you are quote unquote afraid of, you realize it's actually not very scary. But when you let your that a black hole, then your mind doesn't know what's in that black hole. Your mind doesn't know how mind doesn't know. And it, it, it seeps into everything that you are and do. But if you can call it out and start to define it and name it and write it down, I started writing it down and I started a journal. I've, I've had a journal since I was six, um, which is cool to go back and wow. read. There is, yeah, lots of, lots. Um, but during that time, I actually read something that I wrote not too long ago. And, and it really was that list of what, what am I going to lose? And it was 
salary. Well, I wasn't really making a great salary anyway, so that's okay. Um, I, I could lose reputation for sure. I don't want to be a failure. I could, I could lose, um, instability. But then on the other side of that page was a list of all I could gain. Yeah. And the gain was powerful and it was extremely compelling. And, and I'm sure even at the time, like, I don't, I don't remember perfectly writing that. Um, but I'm sure at the time that list of, of understanding, yes, here's the loss. Loss is real. That is something that you have to consider to be a wise person. You must take that into account. But then what is the upside gain and who could you become if you push yourself? Yeah. Okay. Several key things there that uh, I really like is one is playing out the fear. That was something really helpful for me and something even as I've worked with clients, it's been helpful for them. Same thing. It, it's an ambiguous feeling, a feeling of afraid or an ambiguous idea of failure. What do we mean by failure? What kind of failure and what kind of pain is it going to be associated with that? Right. Yes. What are we really talking about? Is it embarrassment? Is it ego? Is it homelessness? And is it really homelessness? Like, let's play how far out this could go, right? Yeah. And when you get there, you can identify what is a real danger and what is just discomfort. And then you can start to make a plan for avoiding actual worst case scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. And for us, and my, my wife and I, when I was making a, a big jump out of kind of a safety net into starting my own thing, we realized we were always asking the question, what if it doesn't? Which is fine. Mm -hmm. So that's like one side of the list. Like, what if it doesn't work? But then I, well, one night I remember she looked at me, she goes, yeah, but what if it does? And I was like, ah, oh, I haven't asked that question yet. And she was like, yep. let's play out. Yep. What if it does? Wise woman. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I've never made that side of the list. Like in your journal, I was like, well, this could change for our life. And this would cause me to grow in these ways. And I would really value growing in those ways and A, B, and C. And that's it. again, we saw the scale start to tip of what if it does being so much more valuable than what if it doesn't. Um, I got chills thinking about it because it was such a scary time. And that. then it was like, no, this is our journey. Like, let's, let's go do this thing and face this risk. And I love that you called it risk tolerance, right? That there is a natural maybe set, depending on how we grew up and how we related to things and parents taught us, you sound like you have a high, higher than average risk tolerance. Have you found any ways to help people increase their risk tolerance? Yeah. One is by acknowledging that phrase risk tolerance, I think is an interesting phrase in and of itself, because it doesn't say that believe in risk. You are acknowledging it and tolerant of that risk. It is still there. There yes. is still where having to take a leap of faith into. And I think that that is also really helpful to say, oh, no, no because people will say all the time, oh, you're, you're just not afraid of anything. And I'm like, oh, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. I have just learned how to be more of that fact by, by playing it out. Um, I'm a huge believer in vision boards and setting goals. Um, I think your brain is so fascinating. Your brain wants to solve problems period. It wants to solve the problem. It doesn't like to have anything open in, in your brain. It likes to have things closed so it can remove it out of the front side, move it into the backside, compartmentalize it. It doesn't want to have unsolved problems up there. The cool thing is when you do have goals and you do have visions and you are thinking ahead, essentially what you're telling your brain is that is a problem and it is going to remain open until you figure out a way to close it. So it's not 
magic. Your brain is just always trying to put the pieces of your day and of your life and of the people you meet together in order to help solve that open problem is your goal or which is your vision or which is your dream of where you want to be. Um, and it is continuously open until that closes, which I think is really unbelievably powerful. Um, setting that helps people also say, Hey, is this risk worth it? Your brain is going to help figure this out. Your people are going to come into your life. You're going to be open to it because you're thinking ahead. You're figuring out who you want to be and where you want to be, not just in next year, but in three years. And I think that that's a powerful exercise that more people need to do. Um, it makes the risk again, real, but less scary when you know it is a necessary step in towards playing, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So I want to dive into uh, goal setting and vision boards. And I even want to dive into things like journaling, but I want to pause real quick. Cause you said something that I haven't thought about in a while, which is we always think in terms of, will this be successful or not? What we don't always think about is, do I even want to set that, that particular success? Right. And what comes with it. Mm -hmm. And so like when I first yeah. pivoted, what I thought I was going to be going for, what people were pushing me towards was more of like the personal brand influencer. Uh, I was used to public speaking. So they're like, dude, you could crush it and make a, 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 you know, a really great living if you start you know, speaking on different stages and all that kind of stuff. And so I started to walk that way. And then the more I was like playing that scenario out, like who do I know that's successful here? What did it take to get there? What does their life look like now? I realized it wasn't for me. I, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I still don't. I don't know the last time I shared on social media. If I do, my team does it for me. I don't enjoy that. I don't yeah. enjoy, I don't enjoy ever tapping people on the shoulder saying, hey, bring me in and let me speak, you know? And I hate being away from my family. And the idea mm -hmm. of being on, you have to be gone like 200 days a year, almost like a, a, a musician to really make a living. And yeah. I was like, I don't think I actually want that success. It sounds attractive on the front end playing it out is not really satisfying. So that was actually what led me to start my company. I was like, well, what would take the same skills, hmm. but apply it in a different way? I, love that that. I, I could still have the life that I want and still feel like I'm making the impact that maybe I really wanted to do, but it doesn't have to be in that avenue. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. My dream was to be the host or the anchor of some big time like the Today Show. Yes. And But then again, playing that out, Oh, it's like, I, I love that that was a dream. It is not my dream. <laughs> yeah. And if you get out all the way to three, five, what does my family look like? What does my life look like? What does my lifestyle look like? Hey, that's not what I want. Okay. So then what is the thing that I want? And then can I back into it? Can I figure yeah. out what aligns with that vision then? Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that then in terms of identifying the vision that you do want. What have you found to be helpful if someone's like, I'm not used to, I'm not used to vision boarding, or I'm not used to like being clear on what I want and those kinds of things. What have you found have helped clarify for you? What is a vision that's compelling to you and how to go about approaching it? Start small. I think people are afraid of disappointment a lot. They are afraid to be disappointed that they didn't meet something of goals that I've said that I didn't meet. Um, so acknowledging that, I think people are also afraid of like we talked about before that unknown who who am i what am i what if life doesn't go that way um so i always tell people to start small something this week to say hey i want to x or this month 
but further than that. If that if it is if it's hard to picture far out, um, and I've gone through phases, and I think that this is another thing that your personal and professional life you're just you. There really a balance. It is it is who you are. You bring your whole self in both areas, ideally. Um, and I've gone through phases where I couldn't see a great future. Like I was I was in a bad place, and it's really hard to think that far ahead. Been having the discipline to still set goals, but keep them smaller and keep them a three month or one month or one week. Um, okay, this is possible. I might not meet it all, but it is worth it because when I yeah. do, oh my gosh, it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is fantastic advice because I think we naturally, you know, maybe it's th- from uh, the stories that we read, the movies that we watched, the people we're around have these ideas that I should be able to know my ultimate destination, my straight path to get there. And that's what we call my calling or my purpose. Purpose. Yes. Yeah. What if you don't have just one? Yes. Yeah. And then we get paralyzed by it because we're like, Oh, the way I used to describe it is like, it's like you go down to the dock of opportunity and you start to see different ships taken off and they're all going to different destinations and you're paralyzed because you don't know which boat to get on and then you're oh well that one's gone did i just miss my purpose and it's like well that is so much pressure and so much pressure. I, I don't think life works that way i think it's much more elastic you know that yes. you can rebound and you can pivot and you can like you said i think my purpose is to be me in any room i walk into yep and the further we go down that path you start realizing there's some common value that i seem to add mm-hmm. and can i add that value here and then maybe can I add that value here? But it's much more fluid in terms of where you could express yourself. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely wholeheartedly. It's I don't think, and I also don't think a purpose is a job too, because jobs are fleeting. I don't yeah. I don't even think it's necessarily a vocation. I think it's an understanding of you and who you are, just like what you said, of what what you're about, what motivates you, and how can you directly impact people? The, the quote, I mean, everyone knows it now, but um, people will forget what you said, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And I think oh, that is love a that. really mantra essentially to live by um, yeah. because people will remember how you made them feel. And, and I've realized over time, you know, Market Week, who knows what happens? A could hit, and maybe we have a bad year. Or, yeah, I'm no longer heavy i have had a lot of different jobs i've had a lot of different roles in my life personally and professionally but at the end of the day what is my truth and and how do i make people supported loved and joyful along the way um or yeah. even challenged mm-hmm. uh, i really like that i mean that's that's what i would consider a more anti-fragile way of organizing your life right like because if you're yeah. locked into a specific identity that's in this career that's in this expression that could get shattered very easily, you know? Well, and, and then risk, risk does come in because you're like, yeah. this is who I am. Then the risk of, of losing this is a risk of losing value in myself. And then that does make the risk even bigger where if you're separated from that, it's not as steep of a fall. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we know one thing I think the pandemic did in a positive was disrupt all of our well-laid plans. And I know that in some sense, it's terrible. It's like the, the the economic impact of that, the anxiety. But what I think if you were looking for it, what it allowed you to do is say, let me practice. Let me practice readjusting my vision. You know, if I thought this was the year we're going to have, and this is what I could count on, and those are gone, 
Well, then mm-hmm. what can I get clarity on? Right? Like yep. for, for us, and that's why I liked what you said, like how, if you can't see this far out, what is the, what is the furthest away you can see? Is it a month? Is it three months? And that's what we did as a team. I'm, I, I want to know if you guys did something similar. It was like, well, Absolutely. let's focus on two weeks. Yep. What, what's our best guess of what we need to be applying ourselves for the next two weeks and then we'll reevaluate. Oh, yes. This is, um, it's so eerie. We're sitting at almost exactly a year ago today when, yep. when the shutdown happened. And I remember going home and just, I mean, we had also had the best quarter that we had ever had at Market Week. So to the point, I mean, January and February of last year, we were crushing it. We were on fire. We moved into this 10,000 square foot office. Like, I mean, so many good things were happening. And then that halt, um, the amazing thing is, and we had huge goals, bigger than we had ever had. Um, everything, it was almost that domino effect. I don't know if you remember this. All everyone in business was like, okay, we're not going to cancel bills. We're not going to cancel vendors yet because one domino affects yeah. everyone. So everyone's just like, you cool? You cool? Yeah, you, yeah, we're yeah. cool. <laughs> we're gonna, cool. You're cool. Shoot first. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that Spider-Man. Yeah, it's like we're good. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden it wasn't, it wasn't right in the shutdown. It's about a week and a half later. I call it Dark Thursday. Um, I calls from the, the clients saying, hey, not canceling, love what you're doing. We're the only revenue, but can we just defer? Can we defer payment? Yeah. Couple, it was like, yeah, no problem. That's fine. We're all in this together. That's okay. By the last couple, it was it was a uh, terrifying. I did totally. not sleep a lot because then you're realizing, hey, if everyone wants to defer payment indefinitely, there is there will no longer be a company for them to defer payment to. Yes. And and they're still expecting us to provide services, and I get because we need to keep going. But man, it was hard. The coolest thing. The team, I, I got with the team and I'm extremely transparent um, and just said, hey, here's where our goals are. I I have worked really hard to I've bootstrapped it to keep savings in the bank. We're gonna be okay. We will be okay. We have to fight, but we've got to backfill wow. as much as we can. Um, this team, they are not salespeople, they are marketers, they are creatives, they are just social media people we had every friday power hours where we would sit on zoom together and it like it still makes me emotional we would sit on zoom together and we would send cold emails out to companies across the country saying if you need anything you call us. you need anything you call us first and it was just like the most unbelievably powerful. I remember sitting there, I, I had a drink because of course um, I had a <laughs> yeah. drink and I'm looking at all these <laughs> beautiful faces on Zoom realizing that, oh my gosh, they have taken this concept to heart of we might not hit our, our annual goal. Life has changed, but let's, let's hit another one. Each one sends 15 emails out. We get one deal out of it this month. And they were able to pivot in a way that I was so unbelievably proud that that message had gotten through. Um, And we ended up having a better year last year than we had even the year before because of the work that they put into that pivot, which was beautiful. God, that is so cool. And it's eerily similar uh, to ours. So we had, again, it's just kind of weird. I didn't even, I didn't even, kind of bring into my awareness that this is actually the year anniversary of when a lot of this started to happen. But right, right around that, yeah. right around that time was my first interview. And it was with our business mentor, really, we wanted him to be able to give advice to other founders who were listening, as well as to us as our business mentor, right? And we're like, Randy, what do we do? How do we think about this? Right? And he said, the first thing you need to know is that for the for the given time, 
you are not going to be able to be celebrating and excited by metrics that you used to celebrate and be excited by. So he's like, yep. if you're going to keep your, keep your team around and healthy, of course, you're going to have to survive. And that means revenue, but you're going to have to measure other things that you can be proud of and celebrate. Mm. So that was our first like piece of advice coming in the pandemic was like, we have to have some kind of plan that we are going after that we can celebrate the activity and the results that maybe aren't directly, you know, maybe they are directly revenue, but outside of just revenue, right? Because yep. who knows what's going to happen. And we had 36% of our business get frozen like that, you know, and it was, a, it was about a week or two later. It didn't happen right away, but the dominoes fell. And then a week or two later, those calls started coming into us and we we're like, oh my God. How are we going to make it through this, right? Um, And the thing, though, that was cool is same with our team. We are not salespeople. So I run a coaching company that that specializes in in people development for fast-growing companies, big companies, small companies. And Mm -hmm. so that's our trade. Our trade is the coaching. Our trade is like helping unlock people and whatever. We're not salespeople. And all of our growth up until then had been all organic, you know, referrals and all that kind of stuff. But now we had to learn to be salespeople because we we're like, if we can't figure out how to sell, we're going to die in this, uh, right? We'll freeze. We can't exactly. Yeah, exactly. We got to fight. We gotta fight. Mm-hmm. That was the scary oh shit moment for us was like, we actually have to go and figure out sales and marketing. What do we do? And that's what I'm most proud of is like, man, so much. Our business is alive today because our team figured it out. Not oh. perfectly, but we're alive today because of the effort and the growth that they experienced and my, all of us in becoming salespeople. It's so true. And, and just being willing to put on, I didn't have anyone say, no, that's not my job. Everyone fought for each other's jobs, which was also so cool to say, to look out and see you are fighting for each other. You're fighting for your coworker, not just for yourself, but like, and to keep everyone on this team together in a yeah. unit and nothing was off limits, which was also awesome of no, the, the designer says do writing she was like okay whatever you need do I need to write copy do I need to send extra emails do I need to like everyone was willing to put on whatever hat they needed through this together and and you know what's awesome I have a competitive swimmer on our team through college phenomenal and she said you know Brooke this is companies I've ever worked for since that time that actually makes me feel like I'm a part of a team again a unit again we fight together for each other really long hours there's a lot of sweat blood and tears but the wow. wins that we feel together are palpable um and i i love being a part of the team again because i didn't realize how much i needed it yeah oh that to me to be able to look at last year and still say hey we were able to come out of this as a team that likes each other that's cool that's really cool yeah mm-hmm. and i'm sure you guys felt the same way which is you look around and you realize i don't just value the paycheck i value the experience right yeah. like the, what we've built here I really want to keep going. And that's what I, I told my team as I was like, guys, I'm fighting for us to, to, to earn the right to keep getting to do this together. Yep. Right. Like I, that, to me, the biggest loss wasn't like uh, the paycheck, even though that would hurt. I have three young kids and you know, that's its own. Oh shit. But it was like, I just don't want to lose this team. I want to keep the dream alive and keep playing together. Cause that's where I get the most joy is in what we're creating. Right. Sounds similar for you guys. Oh, absolutely. And you know what's cool is one of our mantras at, at, at Market Wake is think bigger. I say it all the time. Think bigger, think bigger, think bigger. And some of the ways that we do that and put it into practice, um, three years ago, I started this. I realized that travel was a really important part of the team. Mm. I wanted to travel. And then I read this 
study that said most people wait until they're retired to do the big trips that they've always do. And that broke my heart because I don't have perfect work-life balance. It's truly integrated. Your work and your is just you. It's yeah. a piece of who you are out into the world and it shouldn't have too much of a shift. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, how do we bring travel into work then? Yeah. Um, and what does that look like? And think bigger, think bigger, think bigger. So we started doing annual trips that are an absolute blast. The first year we took everyone and their spouses to New York. The second year we took everyone and their spouses to Iceland to go chase the Northern Lights. And then, this past year, and then this past January, took everyone and their spouses to Jamaica. We just got back. Um, it was like 50 of us, I think, 40-something. Um, and it is just one of the coolest experiences. I'll never forget, we were standing in Iceland, looking at the Northern Lights. I was watching everyone. And the reason why I bring this down in a second, but I was looking at everyone, staring at the Northern Lights, watching them just dance across the sky. And I literally, I got them because... It's just, this is, this is life, your, your work and who you are and who you do it with. And the fact that you can be a part of it and watching and realizing that you are a small part of this really big world, but you do matter. Um, that is why we are here is yeah. I don't want people to feel like, Oh, well, I, I, I slaved away. And, and then maybe now I can travel. It's like, no, let's, let's live life together. Let's think bigger about business. Let's think bigger about our personal lives. Let's think bigger about what we can bring to the table and see what God, so cool. Man, it reminds me of um, when my business partner and I, we've been friends since college. We met at Clemson and had always dreamed about doing stuff together. But, you know, when it really coalesced was when we realized we had a very, almost the same uh, value for the future or like a sense of purpose, right? He was a coach. I was a coach. So on the skill set, it made sense that we'd come together. But when we were saying, what do you really want out of life? The phrase that we actually borrowed from a friend was, I want to do what I love with who I love. If I'm doing that, I'm going to be a happy guy. If I'm doing what I love, so I need to enjoy the work, feel like it matters, that kind of thing, but I want to do it with people that I love, right? If I can do that, I'm going to be a happy camper. Yep. So when I saw that was his vision too, it wasn't just to get as rich as possible or you know, just you know, get something from me and sit on a beach. I was like, let's go do that. Let's go yeah. build something we love and do it with people that we love, whether we already know them or they get brought into the fold and become like family. That's what we want to do. I love that. Absolutely. And you can't, I mean, you do feel empty when one is missing. Yes. You really do. But you know, you know, in your heart, something's missing. And that's one of the reasons why we bring spouses and it's spouses or um, if you've been here a year, you can bring your significant other. If you're married, of course they're coming, but it's like your person, your significant, you spend a lot of time at work and your yeah. person might be at home taking care of the kids. They might have types of jobs. Like, they need to know and be a part of this as much as you are, because then there's FOMO of like, oh, well, you know, they're doing some fun stuff and I'm just still back here. So at the start of every retreat, it's, it's not a um, work trip, but I always do a, some sort of fun, fun deck of, Hey, look at how cool your person is. Look at what they were able to accomplish. Percent market week achieved. Here are some funny stories. Here are some things that we were able to wow. do because you let them work and you let them help us grow together. And that's why we're here. And that always helps ground everyone. And so last year when, when COVID hit and we were all fighting for, it was, it wasn't even that we're fighting for each other. It's like, Oh, I'm fighting for your husband and, and your wife and the kids that they're yeah. awesome. And they're a part of this. And it just, I don't know, it changed, changed the way that we work. Man. Well, so that makes me curious about, so you mentioned there were 50 people on that trip. What, 
40 something on the, does that mean there's around 20 something employees plus spouses? Is that about what it is? Yeah, this year it was a lower because not everyone went because um, obviously we're traveling also internationally. You're right. Um, but we have, I think right now we've got about 30 employees. Um, that is and, which so is impressive. Awesome. And then, yeah, yeah. And then it was also great, by the way. There were no issues. We went to Jamaica. We got rented a boat, horses in the water, came back. No one got ill. Yeah. They were so the, happy that we were there. And the prices are awesome, right? <laughs> Oh, they're, they're lovely. Everyone yes. should be traveling right now. <laughs> I know. My wife and I went in December uh, for our 10-year anniversary, went to St. Lucia, and oh. we were like, this is insane what we're able to get for the price we're able to get right now because they were just desperate yeah. for like some sort of tourism to come back in for their economy and that kind of thing. And I was like, man, if you're healthy and you're able to do this, like they oh. need it, and it's awesome. <laughs> need it they were overjoyed they said that this is the biggest group that they had since the the pandemic hit and they I yes mean, anything that we wanted they were so kind so accommodating so sweet yeah it's it's you can it's worth it that's awesome well give us some tips uh for how you were able to build and scale bringing in the right people and keeping your culture intact and healthy as it grows because that's a challenge when it goes from just a few people we all know each other really well to like, wow, we're getting a sizable number. We're at 10, 12, 20, 30. How have you guys gone about like really protecting that culture and bringing the right people in? Uh, we hire very slowly and we have a very clear process for how we do that. Um, we do a phone screening and then every person who interviews has to meet a minimum of six people on the team. They meet them in pairs of twos, and each group is asking a certain set of questions. One group might be asking more business acumen, technical, see if they qualify. The next group is typically asking more of those EQ skills and of are you going to be a good fit? And then the third group is often one is typically part of leadership, and they're kind of asking the breadth of what's your experience, what's your goal, what motivates you, who, what, what, what are you about um, to get a little bit deeper. And yeah. then after that, we regroup, and if, and if, if there's one veto, it. like the entire team needs to be on board. And it, it's rare that we have any of, oh, we have to have this first veto. Typically, everyone is on the same page with that. Mm. Um, but it makes it to where when people do get in and they realize how hard the interview process is, they're so proud. They're like, oh, I made it through that. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Cause yeah. I mean, they're scoring. We're talking through it. We're figuring out meeting after. Um, the other part is I, I do not allow for gossip and dissension at all. I mean, the team knows that I have a zero tolerance policy for that. Um, that's the fastest way. I always say, guys, we're on the same side of the table. We are for each other, period. Our clients sometimes are on the other side of the table and we may be fine with them, but <laughs> yeah. not us, not, not this team. Like we are for each other. Um, so I don't tolerate any of that. And I think that's it's really important to set up because um, people like to chit chat and I just cut it. Um, the other aspect is uh, I think two things helps us weed out um, people who don't need to be here and understanding when to fire quickly is really important. And two things have helped us there. Um, one is we do peer reviews alongside our reviews where um, they answer a series of about 10 questions anonymously. 
I get those back and compile them and people are will it, are, are far more open to say, here's what they do really well in, here's what they need to improve on, here's what's like a, a this is a huge issue. So I just get those leading indicators pretty quickly. Um, and then the other aspect is making our team so great is lacking. They typically are taking the extra work on themselves because they don't want anyone to look bad. Um, but that means that the good players, the A players, they're risking burnout. Um, mm. So I make it really clear, hey guys, I'm not going to risk the, the team that we have right now um, for someone who's not pulling their weight. So I need to know that to fix it. And then we put them on plan or we will remove them from that role pretty quickly. Um, and the funny thing is firing people, it's always really scary. I hate, but once you do it and if yeah. you do it the right way and it is someone who needs to be removed from the team, the rest of the team just has a relief of, oh my gosh, it's about time. We knew that that was coming. And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you should have So just trusting, trusting your gut, making sure that you are asking follow-up questions and pushing. Um, and then, and then acknowledging when you do have a good solid team, like right now we have a good solid team. It's my control. If we bring anyone else in, as we hire more, if this is a rock, the, the, the change was the new person. And so how do we readjust with every new person that we have um, yeah. and then make sure that we're, we're integrating and growing and evolving the way that we need to. Yeah. You've got a, a brilliant business brain. I, I'm really impressed by the way. Um, what you said even reminds me of, I think it was Yvonne Chouinard, the Patagonia founder. He talked about one of his biggest principles was slow to hire, quick to fire. Yep. And he said, most people are the opposite. They're quick to hire and they're slow to fire. And that just gets us in all sorts of troubles. You, you hire the wrong person and then you let them stay around forever. And it had all these ripple effects versus let's try our best to get the right person from the start. And then if they're not, let's, let's let them find something that they'd be a better fit at you know, somewhere else. And let's let us protect what we got here. You know, um, it's worth protecting. It really yeah. is. And, and it's kind to them. It's, it's kind to let them go exactly. find something that does work. Um, and it's kind to your team who you risk losing at the sake of someone you don't want to keep. Yeah. So I'm curious. I love the no gossip policy. That is, uh, I don't know if I've heard someone talk about that explicitly here, but working alongside businesses long enough, I understand that, what a huge need that is. What have you done on the positive side of that? Meaning like if what we want to cut out is gossip, what do we invite them to do? Is it brave conversation, you know, going one directly to the source if there is an issue? Uh, what do you guys do to encourage that kind of communication? Um, it's always um, a couple of things. One is event up, lead down. Okay. Um, that is really important to me where I, I'm big enough to handle your event. <laughs> Um, do not vent down, you lead down, you lead to each other, you lead, bring that stuff to me and or, um, and then you guys handle it first, um, yeah. first and foremost, as direct as possible. Um, if I hear someone complaining and, and my directors know this, I hear someone complaining about the same thing about the same person, it's no longer their fault. It's yours. Yeah. Um, so people are also aware of it becomes your fault if you're continuing to complain and not being a um, productive solution to this problem that you're facing. You can't keep pointing fingers. You have and carry responsibility in, in the solution if it is the problem. Um, and then the last is once it does go through you um, with your directors, then I'll come in and, and just 
And we, we very rarely have that. And if we do, it's typically because we do actually have to fire someone. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in which case, yeah, it's probably right. It did go through all those phases. Um, I think that just having that policy of, hey, you, you have an equal hand in this problem if you're still complaining about it has made people own, own that ability of, of not talking about it too much and, and figuring out a solution. And, and I always say like, hey guys, the faster you figure out a solution, the faster we can move on to the next thing and have more wins. So why, why, why dwell on it? Yeah, oh, I love that. Beautiful policy. That, that, that really does inspire such healthy connection and culture. Uh, and just while well, I was telling a client this yesterday, he had a tough conversation that he didn't know he needed to have. But as he's talking to me, I'm like, oh, you, need, you just need to have a tough conversation, <laughs> right? Like you're complaining to me about this thing. You just need to go have this conversation. And I was like, basically what I'm asking you to do is just to be a mature adult. I was like, yeah. I, don't say that, I don't say that patronizingly because it's easy for us to avoid discomfort, but that's an immaturity. Like what, what we want is to just go have a, like be a mature adult, go have a conversation and nine times out of 10, it's going to be good that you had that conversation, however it goes, whether it, it didn't go well and therefore there needs to be some consequences from that or it went good and now you're even stronger than you were before the conflict, you know, <laughs> but like we can't get around the fact you just need to go have a brave conversation. Absolutely. I'm not your mama. You need just be an adult here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then give the other person a chance to be an adult. Give them a chance to be to handle that feedback well and and relate to you. And then you earn trust with each other. It's, it's super helpful. Uh, this has been so, so stinking good. Uh, again, brilliant business brain, but I do, I am curious, we all make mistakes. And this is a question I've been asking recently that I have a lot of fun with. There's a book called the path less stupid. And it was this the CEO giving just kind of advice to the people younger earlier on, like, Hey, if you could avoid this dummy tax, please do. Right. Yeah. Um, do you have anything, if, if, if a founder's listening to this, the earlier on in the journey in their dream, that you look back on and say, if at all possible, learn this faster or avoid this mistake that I made, uh, anything like that come to mind? Oh, yeah. Uh, let me do for you, um, kind of like what we were talking about early on yeah. of, of people will rise to the expectations, but they also feel slighted if you don't believe in them and you show that you do not believe in them every time you take on something yourself that you're not helping them to learn or coach them on um so if people the responsibility is early on and they they might actually blow your mind um the other thing the other thing i would say <laughs> one very tactical get a great bookkeeper and a mm. cpa very early i was spending way too much time in my books knowing that okay i'm an entrepreneur i really got to figure this stuff out yeah yeah i'm not great at it and just getting someone who i completely trust in order to help manage that completely worth every single dime um in order to save on taxes um to save my mental health of not having to deal with all of that stuff and then just making we're, we're all set. It's a lot of tactical backend stuff that is just not enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the other thing I would say is no way to separate yourself from a client and or investor and or bad money. Um, I, there are times where I've had to fire clients and I'm glad I have not all money is good money. And yeah, when you're getting started, you just want it all. Like you just, you want it all. You need the money. You're accepting whatever you can. You say yes, as much as 
you can, it's like, can you do this? Yes. And then you figure it out on the back end. That's not a super scalable mindset of, Mm. is this actually something that we want to pursue? If I play this out and we keep getting clients and the thing that I want to serve. Um, so taking the time to actually know when no is the best forward um, and defining that and practicing that is, I think, really important. Early on, I said yes to everything. And then, okay, we'll figure it out on the back end. I'm, you guys are smart. I'm sure you can figure it out. But then yeah. we, we brought on clients that we really didn't need to have. We brought on service lines that we didn't really need to have. Um, and it just moved us away from where we should been going and probably lost us time. Um, so knowing you do not have to say yes from day one, I think is an important skill to learn. God, those are three great pieces of advice. So good. All right. I'm going to ask you now our lightning round questions. So these are five oh, questions. Okay. Asked every guest. I need to stretch. If you want to, <laughs> if you need to, uh, first thing that comes to mind, no need to overthink it. Okay. Number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Think bigger and know that you can leave awake. Love it. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what was the worst? Best advice, um, your higher people smarter than you are. Um, worst advice is, um, oh man, I don't know, actually. Okay. I'm sure I've gotten some. Yeah, fair enough. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Can I grow ahead of the business growth? Mm. What does that mean? Keep up with the demands, like as the business grows, it demands more of you, new skills, new capabilities, that kind of thing? I've been a CEO of a $10 million company, so what does that require of me, and can I stay ahead of it? Can I keep growing and learning in order to serve my team at each stage? Got it. Love it. Number four, what's your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? A hundred million within the next five years. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. All right. Number five, this is our creative question. So put your creative hat on. Mm-hmm. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell yourself? Oh, oh, we're getting some personal stuff here. I think we're past the point of the time of going into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> heard a lot. Um, I, I would go back. I would go back to college, um, and tell myself to trust my gut. Yeah, come on. I made a lot of decisions. I knew better. Uh, I would say trust my gut. And I could have probably been here. Either. God, that's so good. Uh, makes me think of um, something I just learned recently. I was watching a talk by uh, uh, Daniel Goleman. He's the the guy that wrote the book on EQ stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he was describing the different centers of the brain. And, and two of them I knew, you know, like the logical processing side versus, you know, like the hippocampus and the, the, um, the base of the brain where it's going to be more of the uh, feeling side, emotional side, creative side. But then he mm-hmm. talked about this other part of the brain that is the gut side, not gut as into like your stomach, but he said it's where the, it's the part of your brain that's been paying attention to everything mm. without, you, without you knowing it, like paying attention to what, 
what went well, what didn't go well, what got you in danger, what kept you safe. And he said, the interesting thing is it's not directly linked to the speaking part of our brain. Mm. So you, it has no direct communication in terms of words. It can mm. only give you feelings and that the, that we can learn to, like you said, like, so we'd say, trust our gut. Like, why am I having an uneasy feeling about this or this? I knew it after the fact. Right. And he's like, it's yep. that part of our brain that we have to learn to like settle into, listen to, find a way to communicate with that could really either save us pain or lead us towards so much more, you know, pleasure or profit or, or peace. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's beautiful. And that's why I said to articulate. Yes. I know something. I know something to be true. And I, I, I can't put the words around it. Yes. So I'm just going to do it. Or you deny it and you realize later you did know better, actually. Yeah. You're like, I, I had no words for it, but I, I knew had... I shouldn't have been with that person or I shouldn't have taken that job or whatever. Yep. And you're like, all right. The question is, am I going to make note of that? Right. <laughs> like, am I going to make note of yes. that? And, and listen to that in the future. And you can live with mistakes you make when you trust yourself better than you can make, than you can live with mistakes you made when you didn't trust yourself. Absolutely. Amen to that. Awesome. Brooke, this has been so fun. Uh, thank you for taking time on your Friday at the end of a busy week to share your wisdom with us, your time. Uh, this has been truly a valuable conversation. So thank you for being on. Oh, it's been wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much and happy Friday. Thank you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.